This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. It's a lot of training, you know, as far as like uh, focusing on my body. You know, I had a couple of uh, nicks and injuries last year, but try not to let it show too much. But as far as like staying focused on my body, wellness, and you know, uh, family, you know, spending some time with my little girl is always huge and just kind of hammering on this new playbook. That is Minnesota Vikings wide receiver Stephon Diggs. Welcome into Purple Daily, two hours every day from 2 to 4 of football talk. If you missed that announcement, that's what we're doing now. And if you want some twins talk, you can go to the podcast or scorenorth.com to listen to our Score North Twins show. And today was OTAs in studio with me, or week two of OTAs, Manny Hill and Danny Cunningham. Jonathan Harrison is producing. Hour number two, we will have ourselves a Zolgad. We will do hot routes and also the interview with a football reporter that you did not ask for. We will go to the Steel City today in about 20 minutes and talk about some off-season drama in Pittsburgh. Although Juju Smith-Schuster did say that there's no drama in Pittsburgh, so I'm just going to believe him because he said that. So uh, we're going to discuss the Steelers in about 20 minutes. But first, since I was out reporting from OTAs and Manny and Danny you guys were here working and doing your jobs. I want you two to ask me questions about OTA. So who wants to start? All right. I think the first <laughs> thing that we need to start with was, were there any notable absences today? Because that's always what's made a big deal with these voluntary practices. Who wasn't there? Well, Danny, Kyle Rudolph was not there. <gasps> Because he was participating in a golf tournament in Ohio, which tells you a little bit about the value of OTAs, even though they will tell you to no end how important they are. Uh, No, Kyle Rudolph was not there, but it did not have anything to do with him being traded. And, And I've put a moratorium for now on Kyle Rudolph trade talk. But I will say this, that today... Irv Smith would have been up there for most impressive player out on the field. He was taking all the first team reps and he made one catch where he was being covered by J. Ron Curse that was just spectacular in the back of the end zone. And this was my first chance to talk to Irv Smith beyond the I just got drafted sort of madness. It's really hard to get a sense for someone when they've just been drafted because it's a huge life-changing thing for them and their family's all happy and they don't know what they're saying. And, you know, you can't really learn a whole lot. But now after he's had a chance to go to practice against some real NFL players, especially the first team, which is great for him, he 
talk to me about some things that he learned and especially was breaking down some of the route running stuff about the details that's required to get open because he said when he was drafted, oh, I'm I'm bigger than most safeties and I'm faster than most linebackers. Well, not here you're not, not really. Uh, I think Harrison Smith is pretty tough and can stay with you, and I, I think Eric Kendrick's pretty fast. So him realizing quickly that the route running details are important and getting that opportunity to shine a little bit early in OTAs, albeit in shorts, but I, I think that that was important for Irv Smith today. What's your overall sense in how they are going to use him offensively I mean it's it's hard to expect a 21 year old to step in and make a huge impact particularly at that position but in this offense what is your sense in how they're going to use him and did we see a sense of that at all in OTA so far yeah we have over the first two weeks we've definitely seen some of the ways that they're going to use him and today he was lining up at a wide receiver position against the cornerback and there have been other times where he's been in the two tight end sets, that was last week. In OTAs, we get one day a week to go out and watch practice. And we were able to see last week where they were using both Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith on the field at the same time. But your question has to go along with the, do they trade Kyle Rudolph? How are they going to use him if they do? And how are they going to use him if they don't? If they don't, then I think he's the H-back type. I think he's lining up all over the field. It's very clear that he's got some natural quickness and feel for route running that maybe you don't expect for a tight end, and he has great hands, so you can use that all over the field. Now, Kevin Stefanski talked today about how, yeah, he needs to become a complete tight end, and he needs to do the run blocking and everything else. Well, we don't have any sense from that, from practicing in shorts, but good luck, my friend. I mean, you can run routes in the NFL as a rookie. You can make catches. You've done that in college. Even if he's blocked guys from Clemson, it's not the same as blocking Khalil Mack. There's just nothing that can simulate that. And that's why three of the four worst blockers from pro football focus grades for tight ends were rookies last year because they get here and it's just a totally different physical size and strength and technique advantage from veteran players. So... If he is the number one tight end and Kyle Rudolph isn't here, he's got quite a challenge in front of him and he'll be used all over the field as a starting tight end. If Kyle Rudolph is here, I think that's a much safer way for him, but he could end up being the guy who ends up fourth on the team in receptions. If that happens behind only Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen and Kyle Rudolph, he could basically be the de facto number three wide receiver. I think what kind of routes is he good at right now do you think i think from watching him at alabama that he can do a lot of things pretty well i mean he's got quick enough feet to run like a 10-yard dig or something like that and get open against the linebacker at the nfl it's going to be a little harder but if he gets some of those details right and knowing that you need to get the details right is the first step if you come off the field and say, no, I got it. I'm good out there. I'm just, you know, I'm fine. You're like, are you sure? Because you're a rookie, and that's a bunch of pro bowlers. I think I counted six on this defense. They have six different pro bowlers. Oof. Like, you're not fine. They shut down the best of the best, okay? But the fact that he took a different tone and, and talked about the specifics, talking about needing to stem out routes, which means kind of give the indication that you're going in one direction and be able to break in the other. So let's say you're running a 10-yard in, but you kind of start to lean out toward the out route and then break back inside. That makes it much harder for a defender. So him even talking about that is a positive in my mind. 
I, I think you are talking about a guy who can go down the field. I don't know if you're running go routes with him necessarily, but somebody who, when he lines up outside, and if you want him to run something that's 10, 15 yards down the field, he's going to be able to do it. Now, you've mentioned a, a different route trees that he could run. Do you, how do you think that he'll be able to line up? I, I assume he'll be able to line up at the tight end spot, but do you envision him in the slot ever? Do you envision him out wide? Do you think that he can be that versatile player? You said a de facto number three receiver. Can he play more like a wide receiver in this first year? Oh, yeah. No, I think so. I, I think that they can line him up in pretty much any spot. And one thing that I really liked from what Kevin Stefanski said that just spoke to Irv Smith and his possibilities in year one was he said he's a young man, but he's older in how he acts and comports himself. I had to look up comports. <laughs> uh, can you give us a definition? The spelling bee yeah. is ongoing right now. I'd also like the country of origin. All right. Let me uh, let me look up what it says. Uh, comport is conduct oneself or behave. So okay. the way that he comports himself is uh, pretty impressive from what Kevin Stefanski said. And and I always listen. Now, everyone will always tell me when I talk about quotes that I hear from out there, <laughs> what's he going to say? What's he going to say? But w- my experience has been with just about everybody is they're always going to find something to say that's complimentary of the person. But it really... Um, depends on which compliments they decide to go to, right? If they just said, well, you know, uh, that athleticism from Bama, we're really seeing it here. Yeah. Then you'd be like, okay, well, all right, we know he's an athlete already, and that doesn't really tell me any anything new or how he's going to adjust. But when Kevin Stefanski goes out of his way to it's sort of like the, um, you know, he didn't have to say that he acts older than he is. And he talked about him understanding how uh, far he has to go. He said already breaking the huddle, he knows what to do and playing fast. These are not things that you would have heard about, say, Bucky Hodges or (laughs) Michael Pruitt or, um, you know, even Laquan Treadwell, which is a whole other topic. Who wants to ask me about Laquan Treadwell? So how did uh, Laquan Treadwell look at OTAs today, Matthew? I mean, Laquan Treadwell always looks pretty good at OTAs and in practice. But here's the really interesting thing is we've asked a couple times about number three wide receiver. Naturally, it's going to be a conversation and young receivers. And we never get, no one ever says, Laquan Treadwell, oh, he's locked in as the number three. I mean, he's the one with the experience. He's the guy. And then all the rest of these guys, they're fighting for spots. No one says that. And that tells you where Laquan Treadwell stands more than anything. I do believe that they're going to give him his final chance because I don't see why they wouldn't. They could only gain about $600,000 in cutting him after June 1st, and it's pretty clear to me that nobody wants to trade for him since he's been in the rumors for about a year and a half, and there's no deal that's been done. They're going to probably ride it out here, but here's my guess for how this goes. If everyone's healthy and Kyle Rudolph is here, which is kind of hard to figure out how that's going to work, but maybe they can you know, exchange some more money or whatever, or, or sign him to a contract extension. They could do that as well. My guess is that Irv Smith is going to play the most, and then it's going to be a mix and match of everybody else for how they fit in to a specific scheme or situation. So now you remember, Manny, that we were all upset at uh, Jarius Wright not being used enough, mm-hmm. and we were correct in our analysis mm-hmm. because he's good and Laquan Treadwell is not. But the reason that they were using Laquan Treadwell a lot 
in 2017, especially over Jarius Wright, I think was because of the run blocking difference and the fact that yeah. Laquan is more of an outside wide receiver and Jarius Wright is more of an inside wide receiver. So they thought, well, we've got to have that blocking on the outside to execute a lot of the things that we want to do. And also this allows us to move Adam Thielen inside. If Jerry's right is inside, then Thielen has to be outside because uh, Jerry's right's really not big enough to get the separation off the line of scrimmage. So he's more of a interior guy. I think what they'll do is rotate people in. It will be Chad Beebe who comes in and plays in a slot role. And maybe Dylan Mitchell comes in and he's going down the field or Jeff Baddett, who's a guy who ran a four, three and that he could be a downfield wide receiver. That battle is going to be super interesting. And Laquan Treadwell might ultimately get cut at the end of camp that mm. some of these guys might beat him out if they decide, you know what? You know, Jeff Baddett was a guy's on practice squad, super fast. We need that deep threat because we're not bringing back Aldrick Robinson. So he's going to be in there instead. That would be uh, a blow to them because it would make him officially sign seal delivered a bust. And uh, that's not always a great look for you. But at the same time, they have a bunch of guys here who could potentially fill roles, and they might want to do it like one role with three or four guys. But are we looking at another situation where he could perform well in training camp and they're still there's like, oh, man, you know, <laughs> you know, because they we've seen them fall into this trap the last couple of years where he performs well in camp, performs well in preseason. Yes. And then it's like, OK, now it's right. Re- now Laquan's ready to take that next step. And then we get the same old thing. Are they going to fall for that trap again? Potentially, I think that that's very possible because mm. last year, Laquan and Kirk Cousins, I am not kidding. You had the best chemistry of any quarterback receiver during training camp. And then he came out and threw 113 passes to Adam Thielen, 101 to Stephon Diggs, or whatever it was. It's like, okay, yeah, I don't think that that really carried over so well. And it just tells you about the big difference between training camp and the regular season. But two years in a row, the guy has dominated training camp and then has not been able to carry it over to the regular season. And I wouldn't be shocked if that happened again. I wouldn't be shocked if they cut him. I think I would be only the only outcome that would actually surprise me is if the guy came out and caught 50 balls. I would be, I would be, that's so crazy if that happened. Yeah. It's so crazy to say that that's the surprising outcome there. Especially because when you go back and you look at the process of drafting him and the things he put on tape and the people who I read consistently who are often right about football, most people were into Laquan Treadwell and thought this is really going to work. And so far, it just hasn't. And two years ago, it was, or I guess three years ago now, it was that the guy can't run to the right route depths. And then last year, he kind of had the yips and dropped a bunch of balls. And it just, it's never really gone super well for him. But, you know, circumstances do matter here when you are never the number one option on a play. Maybe that's part of it. It's always going to be Stefan Diggs. It's always going to be Adam Thielen. And you're just the next guy in the progression for every single play. I'm not saying that he would be great if he was the number one wide receiver, but the numbers might not look quite as awful as they do. It's just a lot of the things that he did well have not carried over. He doesn't win contested catches. He doesn't use his route running to get open like he was able to do when he was in college. And, uh, you know, if you can't do either one of those things and you're not super, super sharp with the playbook, I mean, last year, I remember they they ran a mesh concept with the tight end where they cross each other in the middle of the field and a throw into the wrong place, and Kyle Rudolph just threw up his arms like, where were you going, Laquan? So 
You know, my confidence is not particularly high, and I think they'd be better off trying to mix and match. So let's say you end up with four guys who have 15 to 20 catches. Jordan Taylor is a guy to watch here. He's someone that we haven't talked about at all, but he was taking first-team reps today and is a guy that Kubiak brought over. I know Nobody will say Kubiak brought him over, but <laughs> Kubiak brought him over, okay? Uh, from Denver, and he has familiarity with the system. He's six foot five, and they seem to like how he fits in. So, I mean, I would prefer to see you have a six five guy, another guy who runs a four three, another guy who's super good in the slot, and just mix and match them. But the one thing you get concerned about is if anybody gets hurt, then there is not a number three wide receiver to step up into that role. As somebody asked me about the backup quarterback. So Kirk Cousins, obviously <laughs> the starter here being paid a lot of money, but say something happens to him. What's that situation look like right now? Uh, here's what stuck out to me about Sean Mannion. He is a Mannion. He's big. How large? Am I right? Real big. Like real big, like six, six and has a real big arm too. like, I mean, like he Paxton can, Lynch. He large? can gun it. He's pretty enormous. I don't know what he's listed at. Let me look. Does everybody wait quietly? Don't say anything. Um, he is listed at six foot five, and yeah, that's right. He looks like he's wearing pads. Like he has such gigantic shoulders that he actually looks like he's wearing pads when he isn't. And I don't think that there's a battle for QB two. QB two is Sean Mannion. And I can tell you this, fellas, if you're a backup journeyman quarterback, and you are the last guy off the field, which Sean Mannion was at the first week of OTAs. You're winning that job. And Kevin Stefanski talked about it today, about how just perfectly he fits in the room. He has familiarity with the system because it's very similar to what Sean McVay was running in Los Angeles. He's got experience on a winning team as a backup. He is your backup quarterback. The only battle is between Jake Browning and Kyle Sloter. Now, help me out with this, guys. Do you guys like... The Browning Bomber or the Browning Offensive Assault Rifle or just Browning Assault Rifle for Jake Browning? Uh, assault Rifle. Yeah? Yeah. I'm going to go with Browning Bomber. Yeah. Browning Bomber? Yeah. yeah. Although, does, does he, well, you know what? This, the the part of that, though, is does he have, a, does Jake Browning actually have like a strong arm? If he can throw so it 65, really? 70 yards, then yeah, no. I could maybe buy he it. Doesn't, okay. He, well, he then, doesn't, yeah. but... Let's not let facts get in the way. When he, <laughs> but when he was playing with the guy who got drafted by Cincinnati, who's a bust, who ran a 4-2, who the heck is that? Oh, the, the receiver, yeah. Yeah, super fast receiver. Yep. He played with him in college and threw like 40 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And then after that... Uh, was not really particularly good. But each day at OTAs, the Browning Bomber has dropped one in for a huge, long touchdown. Dylan Mitchell had one today. Wasn't that John Ross? John Ross, John correct. Ross, yeah. yeah, when yeah, he played with right. him at Washington, he just threw the ball up, and, and he went and got it. And I, there to me, there's no, nothing even close between the two, between Sean Mannion and Jake Browning, in terms of arm strength, in terms of looking like an actual NFL quarterback. Not even close. So Mannion's going to be your number two. Sloter is getting his last shot here, and you know Browning is maybe a practice squad quarterback, possibly, or maybe just a camp body. How much does Mannion just having contact with Sean McVay in the last <laughs> year have to do with him being the backup quarterback here? Because everyone wants some piece of Sean McVay, no, and if right. that's the Vikings' route to get there, I think it's a good idea. No, you are right about that. It's a very strong point, Danny. Uh, but Sean McVay... Um, his disciples are known for also being like really, really ridiculously good looking. Mm-hmm. 
I can't really say that for Sean Mannion. That's like he fair. He doesn't have like the rhino horn uh, you know, thing going on with his hair. It's not all spiked up. He looks like a journeyman-ass quarterback, and I love that. <laughs> like, he looks like a journeyman-ass quarterback, <laughs> yeah. and I love that. <laughs> yes. Sean Mannion is going to be your number two. So um, anything else, boys, before we talk with... Jeff Hathorn in the interview you did not need. Very quickly, <laughs> the running back position in, intrigues me because mainly because two years of Dalvin Cook, as dynamic as he has the potential to be, we have not seen him hold up for a full season yet. He had the ACL in 2017. He was banged up with with hamstring problems all all through last year and was sort of in and out of the lineup at times. Where are they at with this position? I know they went and got Alex Madison from from uh, Boise State, but he seems like a different type of a runner than Dalvin Cook. He's yep. more of a Latavius Murray. Like Power maybe they, guy, yep. they took him to be like the replacement for Latavius Murray. Yep. What are they going to do if Dalvin Cook has another injury again? I think what you're talking about then is a lot of Alexander Madison, but also Mike Boone and mm-hmm. potentially Amir Abdullah. But I could see a battle going on for Amir Abdullah's spot. I don't think Rock Thomas ultimately ends up on the team, though I like him, but there was that weed thing, and he was on the practice squad and the roster last year. They like Mike Boone a lot, Mm -hmm. and I I think that they want that to be their trio with Delvin Cook taking the vast majority, but if Delvin Cook has to go out for a few weeks, I think it would go Boone and Madison getting the majority of the carries, and then Amir Abdullah working in, assuming that he makes the team. He's their kick returner right now, but kick returner just doesn't hold a whole lot of value anymore. And and really, I mean, it's so hard to predict with running backs, right? Yeah. Uh, Amir Abdullah did run a zone system in college. I went back and looked at that, and that might be another reason they liked him. But I mean, is Mike Boone's an undrafted guy, but an athletic freak? Madison is a higher drafted guy, but doesn't have the same running style as someone like Mike Boone. And Rock Thomas actually has the best natural gifts of anybody except for Dalvin Cook in running the football, like being patient, fitting into his own system. I think we're going to find that out really in training camp. I think they drafted Madison to be Murray, but being Latavius Murray is not super easy, I think. So that's it's a good question. That's something we're going to see play out. Madison right now would be, I think, the number two running back. It would be really nice if they had another Jerick McKinnon type. It would. He was so reliable in 2017, man. And, and I think that maybe with Amir Abdullah, they're looking for the poor man's version, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure that they have that. All right, we're going to take a break. That is your OTA report. Thank you, uh, reporters, Danny and Manny, for asking me good questions that I gave to you. And uh, we, <laughs> we're going to uh, talk uh, with Jeff Hathorn of 93.7 The Fan about the Pittsburgh Steelers, their offseason in our random NFL report of the week. We've got Manny's list of eight or nine things coming up. And also, we will have our hot routes as well. We'll have a Zolgad in studio uh, at 3 o'clock. Lots coming up here on the show on Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours that's what you want um, 
we want to do things that makes him comfortable. And as far as like being a receiver, I want him to be comfortable. You know, I want him to play to his strengths and, you know, trying to be there any way that I can. As far as like being a wild out, you want to, um, you want to be in this corner any way you can. So as far as like anything that he wants to throw, just run it. That is Minnesota Vikings wide receiver Stephon Diggs out at OTAs today, TCO Performance Center. I have an update for you guys. Uh, Manny and Danny in studio here, Jonathan Harrison producing. We'll have Zolget and Hot Routes coming up in hour number two. Uh, Chris Thompson of the Pioneer Press uh, reports. See, what the Vikings are doing today is some of their talking out there when I was out there, and then they go do a community event and do some more talking. He reports that Mike Zimmer said Kyle Sloter will get one day each week of OTAs as the number two quarterback. So controversy, I don't I don't really think so. I think Sloter probably ends up as the number three, and that's kind of how it ends up going. But uh, maybe the door is open for Kyle Sloter to get a chance here and prove that he can be a backup quarterback in the NFL. How much would he have to like outplay Sean Mannion to maybe overtake him? The thing that comes along with Sean Mannion is that he's a really smart guy, mm-hmm. and that is a big part of it because the backup quarterback becomes, in a way, an assistant coach for the starting quarterback. And what's really important is each week that guy has to learn the other team's offense and practice against the defense. The scout team thing is a big deal. And if you feel that Sean Manning is much better at emulating the other team's quarterback and scout team, then you're going to keep him instead. Plus, he's got some NFL experience. Kyle Sloter has mostly played in fourth quarters of preseason games. So, uh, you know, I, I still think it's Sean Mannion's, but Kyle Sloter is, is going to get his shot. Uh, let's talk about Kirk Cousins and Stephon Diggs for a second here, guys. Um, with that, the relationship that he has with those two wide receivers, I, t- I tend to think that any offense that they put in, that those guys are going to make you at least good. So the question really for me is what Kirk Cousins' ceiling can be if the other pieces fall into place that we've talked about. The scheme that's a better fit for Kirk Cousins, the number three wide receivers, whoever they might be, but maybe it's a better fit than Laquan Treadwell was. The the other possible things that are happening here, how good, if it's the best case scenario and everyone's healthy, do you think the Vikings passing game can be? I mean, it, it seems like Stephon Diggs is never covered. So just there alone, if he's always open, it feels like at least from from my my perspective that you should be a pretty successful passing game. And then when you can throw in Adam Thielen, who I think has maybe outperformed Diggs, but I, I still believe Diggs is the better natural receiver than Thielen is. Mm-hmm. You should be unbelievable offensively. It's on Kirk Cousins to get him there. At the end of the day, no matter how strong your weapons are in guys like Thielen and Diggs and Rudolph, and if Irv Smith's the real deal, or if Laquan Treadwell could get it together, you're only going to go as far as your quarterback can take you. So I do put all this on Kirk Cousins. You, you have guys that can get open, can get open consistently. You've got game breakers. You have weapons on the outside. If you get them the ball, you're going to be successful. It's on Kirk Cousins and Kirk Cousins alone, in my opinion. I think that they have done a solid job of trying to boost what was around him. It would be nice if they had another weapon for him, ideally in a perfect world. But at the end of the day, I think there's enough around him for him to perform well. And I think I don't think it's a lot to ask for him to just kick his game up a notch. Just just kick it up a notch, Kirk. Can you deliver on a third and eight in the fourth quarter? You know, sometimes it's like 
things are not going to be perfect for you to be able to do that. And so you've got to be able to do that on your own. I'll probably say it a, a number of times before we even get to training. Constant camp. coverage but, on your. Hey, now, Jonathan. But, uh, you know, I, I think with the point about Cousins just needing to step up and make a play at some point, that's all that people wanted last year. Everyone mm-hmm. knew that the offensive line was not good enough to make a deep run in the playoffs and things like that. It was really about can you make one big play to win in a one-score game, and he just wasn't able to do that. So you're right about when we talk about the offensive ceiling, it isn't so much anyone's going to care about where they rank. It's did Kirk Cousins make plays when he needed to the most. All right. Let us go to now our random NFL reporter of the week. Now it's time to take you on a journey to a random NFL city for a football breakdown you didn't need. Down and dirty, rolling in the mud. Oh boy, the... The football noises there bring a little bit of a tear to my eye each week as we go to a random NFL city. And today it is Pittsburgh. We go to Jeff Hathorn. He is the sports director at 93.7, the fan in Pittsburgh. Jeff, how are you? Good, man. What's up? Oh, what is up is your off season, dude. I mean, it's uh, uh, just what off-season? right. Yeah, right. Exactly. So let's just start there. How crazy has it been in Pittsburgh with? The Le'Veon Bell, the Antonio Brown, all the drama that has gone on there. Dude, it, it, it's been like we're on some type of uh, reality television lifetime for men, I guess, might be the best way of putting it. It was crazy. It's, it's just been nuts. Uh, you know, Antonio Brown, that whole saga from the end of the last game, when he no-showed on his teammates, all the way through until... Well, even now with OTAs, but the first time Roethlisberger spoke a week ago, uh, it's just been it's been crazy. And people, you know, they get fired up about it because they love their Steelers, and everything that's said is elicited a response. And I'll tell you, for the talk radio business, it's been very nice. Oh, I bet. Um, but um, but the fans are a little fed up with it. And quite honestly, as reporters, you know, we get a little tired of that stuff too. With the offense and with no no Antonio Brown anymore, how much confidence is there that Juju Smith-Schuster can be a true NFL number one wide receiver with no more AB? Well, you know the Steelers have to believe that because that's their that's their option. Uh, as far as the fans, I think there's mixed. I mean, they love Juju. He does all these little things in the community. He's really smart in the way that he markets himself. But he'll go out and he'll play. Uh, games he'll play dodgeball with kids he went to a senior center uh he's done a lot of things to ingratiate himself with the fan base here just by stuff off the field and he realizes what he's doing not that he's a bad guy but you know he knows how far that stuff goes as far as on the field i mean we don't know you know he told us i've handled i've dealt with double teams well he really hasn't and antonio brown has been the guy and he has been the center of attention for defenses uh, we'll find out. Can James Washington, can Dante Moncrief, can somebody else create something, or maybe it's Vance McDonald at tight end, to to make sure that Juju can get some catches. The good thing about Ben Roethlisberger, and really one of the things that led to more of his interceptions last year, is that he forced balls to A.B. to keep him happy. And Roethlisberger is a guy who normally spreads the ball around, so that should work in the Steelers' favor. Now, can any of these other receivers step up? That's going to be the key. Jeff, what is the 
overall feeling on Mike Tomlin going into 2019? Is there a lot of pressure on him? I mean, this is a franchise that has had three head coaches in almost five decades. And so we don't really associate the Pittsburgh Steelers with a head coach that could potentially be on the hot seat. Where Where is this team at? Where is this organization at with Mike Tomlin? I'd say we, we get a lot of calls of people that think that Mike Tomlin has not done a good enough job because they haven't been to the Super Bowl in years, that he's underachieved <laughs> with the group that he's had. And, it, I mean, that's seriously what we get. Uh, people think that, you know, we st- we'll still get the occasional, well, he won with Bill Cowher's players, and now he's got his <laughs> players and he can't do anything. Uh, as far as the organization, I mean, obviously they are not one to make, you know, quick decisions on coaches or make knee-jerk decisions on coaches. Normally, coaches at this point, with a year left on their contract and this year, they get a, an extension. That's the normal way the Steelers work things. He has not gotten one yet, which tells you, not that it still couldn't happen in the next couple of months, but it tells you that maybe they're thinking or want to see what this season entails before they give him a contract extension. So I wouldn't say he's on a hot seat, but there are some questions about him, and I think there are questions even within the or- their own organization. Talking with uh, Jeff Hathorn, sports director at 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh. I mean, imagine saying they haven't been to the Super Bowl in a while. So, geez, this coach, like, uh, yeah, those are those are problems that Minnesota does not uh, have to talk about, Jeff. But, uh, you know, with, with Roethlisberger, it's an interesting case because, um, you know, it, he doesn't come across looking so great himself. I mean, Antonio Brown uh, looks petulant and looks like he forced his way out and caused all that drama. But at the same time, it was rooted in his relationship with Roethlisberger, who doesn't exactly have a squeaky clean uh, clean record. So how is Roethlisberger being perceived now that his stars have left him? Well, you can tell that they've talked about this because they're all in on the Roethlisberger bandwagon, and they're all going to support their quarterback, and they're, you know, they're going to go to the wall for the guy. Not that they wouldn't have before. I will say this about Ben. He has the respect of his teammates from the fact that he wants to win and he plays hard and of course everybody wants to win but what i mean by that is he's very competitive and when he gets out on the field there's no there's no really doubting his want to when he plays in games Uh, i think what some of the guys don't like about ben is he's not a guy that hangs out with other players i mean he kind of goes in he does his thing and He's one of the first ones out the door, and he doesn't go hang out with guys after. He goes to his family and his three kids and hangs out with them and maybe a player or two, maybe. Uh, but you can tell he's aware of these these issues because at his summer house in Georgia, he invited the offense down, like the entire offense. Before, he's invited the line, but I think he realized that maybe some of these guys don't realize what he's about, so he had them down for a weekend the receivers, running backs, all the, all the specialists on, on offense, so they could sit around and talk. So he knows that he's not been the leader that they've wanted, uh, but he's really not that type of guy. He, he can rub people the wrong way. I can see that. Uh, but he's not a rah-rah leader guy like so many of these quarterbacks are. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, it seems as if the Steelers have really struggled to to replace Ryan Chazier since he got hurt a couple years back. Is Devin Bush, who they picked at 10th overall, traded up to get linebacker out of Michigan, is he going to be that guy that can re-solidify the middle of the defense for Pittsburgh? They're banking on it. And you're right, Chazier, 
I mean, Shazier was the guy they were building around. He was their centerpiece. He's what was going to make their resurgent defense go, and that injury was was huge, obviously for him, but for the team as well. Uh, Bush is a similar player, and I'll tell you how much they they expect him to jump in. They were having him run first-team linebacker first day of OTAs. Now, some of that, you know, they're just running through some drills and they wanted to see him in there, but they're doing that a lot with him. They're going to force it. They like to have rookies wait, uh, but they need Devin Bush to be a player. I mean, they got Mark Barron, who's who's a nice player, um, and he's got a little speed and can bring some experience, but they want Devin Bush to start day one. Jeff, what do you make of the division? I mean, all of a sudden, it's tough after Pittsburgh has uh, racked up a lot of wins on the AFC North uh, over the years, but now Cleveland all of a sudden has stacked up their roster. Lamar Jackson gets his team into the playoffs last year, and even Cincinnati doesn't look like a complete laughingstock, right? So um, what are the expectations knowing that the AFC North is not going to be easy? I think with all of the turmoil in the offseason, a lot of the guys are kind of embracing that they're an underdog. You know, there's been so much talk about Cleveland, and while they say they're in to win a championship, they know what Cleveland has done, and guys will say, you know, we kind of like this. We've never been underdogs in our own division. Even with when the Ravens were good, the Steelers were always good, so they were back and forth. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a very top-heavy three-team division. Cincinnati, I don't know what to make. I mean, they had a ton of injuries last year, and if they get some of those guys back, you know, maybe they can make an impact in the division. But, yeah, there's been talk even in the Steeler room about what the Browns have done, and they know it's going to be a challenge. But you know what? Really, the last couple of years with Cleveland, you look at the scores, those have been dogfight games. So it's not like they've blown Cleveland out. They know that they've been a challenge for them to beat even when they've been bad. Of course, now uh, maybe Cleveland will win some of those games outside of the division and be a, a force to reckon with. It, it, it's really strange. It's kind of like old school. you got Cleveland and Pittsburgh, and, of course, Cleveland, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. It should be a lot of fun in the in the, uh, in the North. Yeah, no, it's one of the more interesting divisions in uh, football, for sure. Jeff Hathorne, he's the sports director at 93.7, the fan in Pittsburgh. Jeff, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for your time. All right, thanks. See you later. Yep. Uh, one of the more interesting teams to cover in the offseason. All right, we'll take a break. Manny has his list of eight or nine things. We'll guess whether it's going to be eight or nine. If you listened to our version of the show that was during last, I get what do we even call it? Like the early Score North era, and now we're like in the middle Score North era. What do we even call that? Anyway, well, this, I don't think you can name. When the did this era. begin? You have to be really deep in to go back and and name an era. Like we can't name oh, what I that see. era was. So we have to look we, back. More time has to pass. Still, the list of eight or nine things, Matthew. Remember, dates back to oh, pre-score North. Oh, the pre-score purple, North. Okay, purple this is, live Tuesday nights. Purple live on the old uh, fifteen hundred. That's ESPN. right. I forgot that it went back that far. So that was an era, fifteen hundred ESPN era. Uh, but anyway, so if you listen to the show dating all the way back, then you are aware of Manny's eight or nine things. It's a, it's a bit that where Manny makes a list and we decide to tear it apart. And Hot Routes coming up at 3 o'clock. Judd Zolgad will be in studio. Then you are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. I've seen it firsthand as far like the work that he put in, uh, his commitment, his efforts, and uh, the kind of guy that he is. So probably him getting paid as well deserved. You know, and um, as a as a colleague of mine, as a friend, uh, I was happy for him. I smiled. It popped up on the ticket. 
All right, we are back here on Purple Daily, uh, hearing the sounds. Jonathan has collected them from OTAs today out at TCO Performance Center. You could see my articles on Irv Smith and the continuity helping Kirk Cousins at scorenorth.com. I plan on writing some more stuff. Also going to the Lynx game tonight, but uh, keep your eyes on scorenorth.com for OTA and off-season coverage and, of course, coverage all season long here on the show and Score North, uh, the website, the app, as well, you can download the app. And if you have any questions, comments, and so forth, 651-646-8255 is the number. So, we are bringing it back. Mm-hmm. It is Manny's list of eight or nine things. So, tell me, Manny, what is your list today? My list is the nine most impressive individual seasons in the NFL in the NFL in my lifetime. All right. So that goes now, back to 1984. All right. So, so the most impressive. Tweet me about what OJ Simpson did running for <laughs> 2,000 yards in 1975. I wasn't born yet. Um, and all, uh, all right. Now, here's the question that always comes up on Twitter Is this in order? Yes. This, it is. This, okay. Because sometimes you've yeah. just thrown out eight or nine and people have mm-hmm. gotten upset. Yes, they have. All right. So let's let's start order. it off then. What is your ninth most impressive? Individual performance in a single season of your lifetime. 2011, Aaron Rodgers. The Green Bay Packers went 15-1 and that year. Aaron Rodgers was the league MVP. He threw for 4,600 yards, 45 touchdowns, just six interceptions, 68% uh, completion rate. And, Collar, you are an analytics junkie, and you will like this number. Aaron Rodgers that year, 10.5 adjusted yards per attempt. That's That's insane. (laughs) <laughs> that's absolutely that's absolutely bananas and 122 quarterback rating yes qbr is espn's one to 100 system and i don't love it for full seasons but if you're anywhere above 70 you could be in the mvp race and he was an 84 that's unbelievable 14 and one that season 15 yeah. he, well, went, he, was he went 14. Oh, right, right, right. well actually danny sorry that bad. that uh 15th win got matt flynn a nice Hefty it did against yes. the Detroit Lions when it you torched did. them. I wonder. Uh, d- d- I mean, I guess I was trying to think of some domino effect of Matt Flynn, like <laughs> signing with Seattle. Like, if he doesn't have that game, he doesn't sign with Seattle. Do they still draft Russell Wilson? They probably do. Mm-hmm. I would assume they do. All right, that's number nine. Number eight, nineteen ninety-seven. Barry Sanders. Uh, he also won the MVP that year. Shared it with Brett Favre. I uh, ran for two thousand fifty-three yards. What was most impressive to me is, I mean, that Lions team in 97 didn't really have much of anything. They made the playoffs that year uh, with Barry Sanders, but they didn't really have much offensively outside of him. And uh, he averaged 6.1 yards per carry that season, 128 uh, rushing yards per game. Do you know this off the top of your head, Manny? Has any other player made the Pro Bowl every year of their entire career? Because Barry Sanders made the Pro Bowl Every year mm-hmm. that he played in the NFL, I cannot. There's think of no way, guy right? Did. There's no way any other player has made the Pro Bowl every single season. Yeah, the I'm, closest that I can think would have been Joe Thomas. He didn't make it his last year because he he hurt his arm, but up yeah. to that, he had made the Pro Bowl yeah. every year of every his other career. One. If anybody knows, tweet me because I I just I can't think of another player who would have been so amazing right away and then never had an injury season or anything like that. Even Barry Sanders missed a couple games in '93, but still was a pro bowler you know where if you're a lions fan where you always look back and you go man what happened was not the season where barry went crazy but i think it was 
I want to say like 95 when Scott Mitchell threw for a ton of yards and played really well in the regular season. They got into the playoffs, totally fell apart. Got blown out by the Eagles. It it broke my heart. I had a Barry jersey, and it broke my heart when he retired early. I was like, what? He's only 30 years old. Why is he doing this? And I I thought, okay, he'll come back with somebody else. Never came back. Uh, Number seven, Adrian Peterson, 2012. He finished Nine yards shy of breaking the single season uh, rushing yard record. He had finished with 2,097 yards. He also averaged six yards a carry, 131 rushes uh, per game. He actually caught 40 passes, too, and only fumbled four times. So I'll uh, I'll give Adrian the uh, number seven nod there. Danny, when you lived in Cleveland, were you an AP fan? I, I was kind of indifferent on Adrian Peterson. I, I thought he was obviously an incredible running back, but it wasn't as if I, oh, I'm I'm rooting for Adrian Peterson week in, week out. But he was really impressive to to watch. I remember his games with Oklahoma more so than I think I remember his his NFL games. Like the, the game against Boise State that obviously they lost, but the first play of overtime, Oklahoma had the ball. He ran it in from 25 yards to put them up, and then obviously the rest is history. But that's what I remember more so. I wonder how many more players that I would have better awareness of if they just had like NFL red zone years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know when it started, but very few people would have had it in 2012 if it even existed at that point. But now everyone has it and NFL network is around and there's just nothing you could ever miss. Even Twitter 2012 is in its very early stages. If I think maybe it just barely existed in 2012. Now, every highlight run you get to see as soon as it happens on Twitter. And I think I would have had a better appreciation for how unbelievably dominant he was had I had those other things. And the Vikings went 10 and 6 that year, made the playoffs, and Christian Ponder started all 16 games for that team. So, what a name. Yeah. And Adrian was the uh, league MVP. Number six, uh, Marshall Falk, 1990. Nine, And the reason why I have this, the Rams won the Super Bowl that year. Marshall Falk was the first, I believe, the first player in NFL history to run for 1,000 yards and also have 1,000 yards receiving. And he did it in this particular season. Marshall Falk and Thurman Thomas are my two guys that I always go to as being the most valuable running backs, even if they didn't get completely the credit of someone like uh, Emmitt Smith or Adrian Peterson in, in terms of the superstardom. I always thought the ability to catch 50, 60, 70 passes like those guys could put him up there. And Marshall Falk was one of my, he might be my favorite football player in the NFL, like in the history of the NFL that I loved watching when I was younger. I remember what really got me into football video games was Mando 3 with him on the cover. Oh, yeah. Oh, stuff yeah. Stuff like that. That was Mar- a game changer. And that offense and what he did to just change the way the running back position is looked at, how much better would Marshall Falk have been in today's era than the oh, era that he actually yeah. played in? He kind of He kind of got robbed by being around far too early. We're running a little against the clock, yep, Manny. So how about we speed through these? Uh, number five, Jerry Rice, nineteen ninety-five, one hundred twenty-two catches, yep. eighteen hundred yards, fifteen yards a catch. Uh, just unbelievable, greatest wide receiver of all time. Uh, number four, very recent, Aaron Donald, last year. Yeah, no, I agree with that. A defensive tackle with twenty sacks. sacks. That is uh, that is off the charts. Uh, number three, Dan Marino, 1984, mainly because of the era that, I mean, to put up those sorts of numbers in the mid-80s when numbers for quarterbacks weren't big, really impressive. Everyone uh, assumed he would just be in the Super Bowl every year after that. Yep. I uh, threw 48 touchdowns, which was a record that stood for a while. Uh, number two, Chris Johnson, 
CJ, uh, yeah. 2009. Flash in the pan running backs, man. Yes, he set the single-season record for yards from scrimmage with over 2,500 yards and uh, ran for 2,000 yards Probably as well, the so. fastest guy in pads that I have ever seen. When he took off, when he hit the next gear, I mean, now they track down to the whatever detail for how fast you actually went. I wish that he had the player tracking on him. And uh, this guy, number one, I was actually debating over two different seasons that he had, but I went with his 2006 season. LaDainian Tomlinson uh, ran for 1,800 yards, was a league MVP, scored 31 total touchdowns. See, you know when, that is insane. when Manny was at his peak of watching football fandom because it's running backs, right? Yes. Like, yeah. I, that, yeah. It just isn't anymore. We kind of shrug our shoulders and go, ah, replace them. Don't draft one. Don't pay for one. But during that early 2000s, there were so many amazing running backs. Uh, a great, a great, a very good list and a great number one for LaDainian Tomlinson. And credit, shout out to his fullback, Lorenzo Neal, yeah. who was a freaking yeah. beast. All right, we got hot routes on the way. More OTA talk with Judd Zolged when we return. Thank you, Danny Cunningham. Man, you're going to stick around for one more segment. Mm -hmm. We will be back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. This view was worth a hike. Right? And it's a good way to stay on top of my health. Yes, I'm Cologuard, a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk. Have you screened for colon cancer? Not yet. Don't wait. It's more treatable when caught in early stages. Tell me more. Cologuard is non-invasive and it's used at home. It detects altered DNA in your stool to find 92% of colon cancers. 92%? Yep, even those in early stages. This was seen in a clinical study with patients 50 and older. Any positive results should be followed by a diagnostic colonoscopy. False positive and negative results may occur. Cologuard is not a replacement for colonoscopy in high-risk patients. Do not use if you have had adenomas, have inflammatory bowel disease and certain hereditary syndromes, or a personal or family history of colon cancer. Most insured patients pay $0. Ask your provider or an online prescriber if Cologuard is right for you, or visit Cologuard.com. I'm in.